Welcome to another edition of the Ultimate Weigh-In Show. I'm your host, Manpreet, a.k.a. MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on social media at MMALOTN. This week, we're going over UFC Vegas 48, headlined by a light heavyweight scrap between Jamal Hill and Johnny Walker. And good boy, that should be a really fucking good fight once you step into the cage. Hopefully not a 25-minute tactical fight like Johnny Walker against Thiago Santos from a couple months back. But I'm hoping we have the correct ingredient with Jamal Hill here to allow us to have a, a very fun and entertaining fight. A very rough card for the out uh, for the rest of it you know what i mean uh, i believe there's uh 12 12 fights total the remaining fights not that intriguing so hopefully they come through on at least an entertainment aspect but i know what's entertaining and that's usually when you have money on these fights <laughs> and that's exactly what we're going to be talking about here with the ultimate weigh-in show uh quick note before i bring in my guest here 7 p.m eastern instagram live going to be talking to you guys once again it's a new thing that I've been running. It's the third edition I've done now as well, where I finally get to talk to you guys face-to-face. -face. If you guys want to hop on with me and share your best bet for tomorrow, I cycle through everybody between three to five minutes each for about an hour or so. Uh, and that's your opportunity to spit your game in terms of what your favorite bets are for tomorrow. So 7 p.m. Eastern tonight, follow me on Twitter, or sorry, on Instagram at MMALOTN, and you could be up there as well. All right. Let's bring in my guest now. Uh, he's been on the show before. Uh, he has a great thing going with uh, Santino DeFranco as well. I'm very happy that they decided to pursue this. Uh, and they've been killing it as well. And I'm very happy to see it. And uh, let's bring in my guy, Brandon Olivas. Brandon, what's going on, brother? Hey, what's up, man? Good to see you. Yes, sir. Likewise, likewise. Uh, it's been a couple months since we were able to hop on and talk to each other. And uh, it seems like you guys have done a ton of growing since then as well with you and Santino on the channel and all that. Uh, how's that all been going? Is it is it what you expected it to be harder than you expected it to be or easier than you expected it to be? Well, for, first and foremost, man, we got to we got to send a big shout out to you. Like, thank you so much for pushing us to do that. Uh, it started and Santino doesn't really like to talk to people and do interviews and do <laughs> stuff like that. So for him to do that was like, whoa. And then for him to, to like it and enjoy it and want to do it on his own was, was pretty cool too. So, uh, man, it's been fun. Even before we started the show, I was running my own telegram group doing everything exactly the way that we are still doing it now. We just, instead of uh, having a, an hour and a half phone call with each other every week and not getting paid for it. Now we're just putting it on camera and letting everybody else watch. So it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah, exactly. Uh, once you told me that he has a guy that bets and like shares his plays and all that type of stuff, I'm like, I need to speak to this guy, especially when we have a coach that's talking to somebody else uh, and getting their insights. But obviously you have your own experience inside the cage. You're a fighter yourself uh, and you, you've you been helping out with coaching as well, even in the corner of the uh, Vanessa Demopoulos <laughs> a couple of weeks ago where she was able to pull off that beautiful submission. Come back. I, I got to take credit for that say. win. Just exactly. So <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. You taught her that, didn't you? You taught her that. Well, you know what? In the corner, I, I was the one. She had her feet all crazy. And I said, Vanessa, clamp down. And Tantino looks at me and he goes, Vanessa, clamp down your clamp feet. Down. And that's the <laughs> final sequence. I love it. I love it. Uh, and I believe she picked up a performance of the night that night as well, right? So that's a little extra uh, bonus for her to go out there and get that dub. Yeah, we, we picked up a bonus of the night. There you go. There you go. <laughs> wink, wink. I love it. I love it. All right. Uh, we are here to talk about UFC Vegas 48, like I said earlier. Uh, headlined by Johnny Walker and um, 
uh, Jamal Hill. We only had one weight miss on the scale, which we'll talk about shortly. We did have a couple short notice uh, step-ins as well over this past week. Uh, very much looking forward to hearing your thoughts on it. I creeped into your stream last night a little bit because there's a couple questions I had, but I didn't want to listen to the whole thing so I could kind of be a little bit more surprised when we're talking about it and hearing what your takes are. So let's start at the bottom of the card here. Uh, we have Mario Bautista who weighed in at uh, 135.5 pounds. He's taking on short notice replacement Jay Perron. Uh, I believe he came in at 136 six pounds uh in terms of odds we're currently looking at minus 365 heavy chalk on mario bautista plus 280 the return on jay perron um running the tape on jay not the funnest you know i mean the, the guy likes to go out there and just clinch his opponents up against the cage it looks like he's trying to take them to the ground but does so unsuccessfully until he starts uh you know going on a little bit later into his career his cage titan fights were not the funnest to watch i'll say that but uh in the contender series he got pushed i honestly thought he deserved that decision is what it is he comes out on the losing end but he still goes out there uh notches a couple more wins and then finds himself in the ufc anyway uh pretty straightforward type of fighter right he wants to go out there try to get the takedown uh used to train out of sit yon tong under out there in massachusetts uh, i believe over the last couple fights he's come over here to send the kid in Las Vegas, Nevada. Um, wondering how that's going to affect his game because outside of his wrestling, I don't really see much else that he provides a threat for uh, Mario Bautista here. Bautista, I believe he holds a 72% takedown defense rate. Uh, he's faced a ton of wrestlers in the past. Trevin Jones went 0 of 3 on takedowns on him. Uh, there's a couple other fighters that are escaping me at the moment, but more often than not, Mario Bautista is successful in terms of keeping his fights upright, and that's where he gets his best work done, man. His combinations are fluid. Uh, great. Uh, not the most power but i think he has uh the tools to go out there keep this fight in the vertical position and then just touch up jay perron i think he could actually even finish him as well at a certain point here um yeah well what are your thoughts on this fight i'm going barrio bautista bautista by finish how do you see this one I think this is a pretty clear one. And, uh, you know, as far as clear, clear cut winners, I, I don't think there's many this week. A lot of people like when I say, uh, don't overthink this one. I have prepared almost my whole career to at some point fight Mario Batista before I realized he's a very big 35er. I always thought I was going to have to fight him. So I've always kind of held him up on a pedestal and how would I beat him? How would I fight him? Uh, the truth is Mario's good everywhere, man. He's He's a dog. He's mean. He's nasty. He breaks people. That's his whole game. Now, as far as the actual striking, uh, man, the Trevin Jones fight kind of scared me a little bit. I, uh, I I didn't like his, his low volume, and it seemed like he was lost from the southpaw, right, from the southpaw Trevin Jones. Um, but then I went back, and I watched a few more fights. Uh, he actually fought my teammate, Rafael Montini, who's, who's actually a very, very good striker. Reminds me almost of Jay, just in a traditional stance, the the volume, the the reads. And Mario just broke him down, broke him down, broke him down. Uh, round two, he wouldn't get up off the stool. That's how bad of a beatdown it was. Wow. Uh, and Rafael's a good guy, but Mario's just mean and nasty. And I think Mario has made a lot of strides even since then. Really what makes Mario lose is big, dynamic punchers, fast guys. He can wrestle. He has great cardio. He can do everything. It's, it's the big punchers that get him. And, you know, Jay on the other end, I've done a lot of tape study on him. The guy has made an entire career of being a two round punching bag and then waiting until you make a mistake. And then that's when he comes on. Um, to me, you got a late notice guy who's, you know, king of the regional scene. He's never going to make it in the UFC uh, versus a kid who's got all the talent, 
and maybe just some things that are out of his control, i.e. his chin or whatever else. So to me, this is a don't overthink it, Mario Batista. Yeah, I like that as well. I, I think he's a decent parlay piece here as well. Uh, just quick note for Jay Perron. He was scheduled to fight in two weeks, so it's not like he's just rolling off the couch here to take this fight, but I still don't think it's going to be enough to overcome a guy like Mario Bautista. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. Uh, somebody that you're quite familiar with, we got Jonathan Pierce weighing in at 145.5 pounds. He's taking on short notice replacement Christian Rodriguez, who weighed in at 144 pounds. Uh, Rodriguez, normally a bantamweight. Uh, obviously, we saw him actually miss weight on the contender series fighting Reyes Cortez. Uh, he was able to get his hand raised there. Unfortunately, it wasn't enough for him to get the contract, obviously, because he missed weight. But I was impressed with his performance, man. He had solid takedown defense. He has good striking, good combinations. And I kind of got, I commented this on your stream uh, last night, but like going back and watching his region or his amateur tape, you can tell right from the jump that this guy was going to be a legitimate fighter. Like the, we've seen enough amateur tape between us to know which guys are doing it for kicks, which guys are doing it for real, and which guys are actually going to be able to take it kind of far. And Christian Rodriguez seems to be the guy that's going to be able to take it pretty far, just given his, his demeanor inside the cage, how comfortable he looks in there. Uh, again, takedown defense seems to be on point against certain guys, but is he going to be able to overcome the towering JSP who's going to have a five-inch height advantage on him here? It was pretty evident when we saw them face off earlier um it seems like a spot where jsp should go out there be able to get this fight to the ground and just smash him from on top he's been able to do it against guys that a lot of people didn't expect him to do it against most notably omar morales last time around who's a big dude in his own right jsp made that shit look way easier than it did and i believe he was a plus 130 underdog in that fight now he comes in as heavy chalk obviously it, it is understandable considering the circumstances here and i do think that we'll see him actually drag the fight to the ground get that top position maybe not get him out of there in the first round maybe in the second round maybe in the third round especially when he starts wearing on christian rodriguez i have a little question marks about jsp striking defense at times that's obviously what got him in trouble against joe lozon in his ufc debut but i find it difficult to believe that christian rodriguez is going to be able to close that distance and get off the shots that he needs to effectively without getting one either countered himself or two taken down as he starts to overextend on some of these shots to close that distance so yeah i like jsp jsp inside the distance i feel like even if you start off the night with a jsp mario bautista parlay you might be able to turn that into a little extra cash that you can bet on for the rest of the card how do you feel about this matchup Oh man, this one's uh, this one's really interesting to me. I, I feel like I'm gonna die alone on the Christian Rodriguez uh, hill here. He's good, man. That kid is so 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 good. I know Junior. I've trained with Junior for a long time, and what he did to Junior, and not only what he did, but how he did it was super super impressive. Say what you want about Junior, Christian Rodriguez has all the skills. I mean, his his fight IQ for somebody his age. I wish my fight IQ was that back then. It took me 10,000 hours of film study to have that same fight IQ that he's been born with, right? So he's been around great guys his whole career. Don't take it from me. Listen to the way that Paul Felder talks about Christian Rodriguez. Yeah. The kid is good. The kid beats up all your favorite fighters in the room. He can wrestle his ass off with college wrestlers, Rafion Stotts, all, all these people. The kid is good. The problem is, is there's weight classes for a reason. Uh, I've never trained with, with Jonathan, but I've been in the room with him a million times. He's big, man. He's big. Um, you know, my, my buddy Jared, uh, has trained a lot with Christian and Christian is small. I'm five foot seven. So is Christian. I can make flyweight. I think Christian could make flyweight too. If he was dedicated, if he, if he could do it, he could make flyweight. 
Um, I think at the end of the day, and I said this on the show last night, the part that it's going to make Christian lose is almost that he's too good. He's too technical. He, he breaks people down. He makes reads. He does these little things in fights that over a course of a three round fight wins. The, the best chance for a guy who's late replacement like that up a weight class is to go in there throwing bombs and just pray one lands, but that's really not Christian style. You know, he, he plays on the outside and I think that's just going to serve the guy who's got a huge reach advantage, huge height advantage, never gets tired, got a great chin. Like I love Christian. I will defend him to the death. I think he's going to be a future at 135, but I just think JSP is just too big, too strong, too well coached. <laughs> uh, I, I like JSP to get it done here. I like it as well. Again, yeah, true. Christian will have success at bantamweight, but this is a very tough ask of him uh, in his UFC debut. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We got Chad and Helliger weighing in at 135 pounds. Jesse Strader coming in at 135 as well, right on the nose. Uh, in terms of odds, we're currently looking at minus 250 for the Canadian and plus 200 the return on Jesse Strader. I'll, let you, I'll actually let you kick this one off first. How do you feel about this one, man? Yeah, th this is an interesting one to me. Uh, somebody said, man, the, the, the uh, odds are, they're too wide for this matchup. And... Put it like this. You got a guy who holds mitts for celebrity for celebrities versus a guy on a nine-fight winning streak who just beat Mufrin Gafarov, who's a Sambo world champion and had tough fights with Lineker. Um, this is not my favorite fight of all time to choose a winner. Jesse Strader is a little bit wild. He's a little bit unpredictable. Body-body, haymaker to the head. Um, I think Chad Engler is a even though he's 35, he's just a better MMA fighter. He waits guys out. He waits for them to screw up and make a mistake. And he actually does some winning in that time. He, he's not like a Jay Perrin who just is a punching bag for three rounds. He actually does things to win rounds, to win fights. And he's got a lot of late finishes. I think Strader's going to gas himself out. I think he's going to get finished by, by Chad here. And I think pretty handily. This is one I actually feel pretty decent about. Uh, and you want the best pick? It doesn't go the distance. There you go. Yeah, that's the one that I'm on as well as the under two and a half. Uh, as as bad as Strader looks at times, the guy still has a little bit of pop in his shots, and I think he could potentially catch Chad at a certain time. But if he doesn't, I think it's just a matter of time before Chad eventually starts to wear on him and get him out of there. I think he has the grappling advantage. I think he's the more disciplined striker of the two and a little bit more crisp, whereas Jesse Strader, uh, you touched on it in terms of his style is like winging to the body until the hands come down and then start to throw to the head and uh, that could potentially work here against Chad, but I think those uh, wild shots could get him countered effectively here by a guy like Chad. Now, Chad, uh, he did start off pretty, you know, uh, pretty lazily, if you want to call it that, on his um, on his original run. Uh, sorry, I'm just pulling it up here. Uh, he he started his career. What is that? Two and five, and then since then has gone undefeated, racking up nine straight victories, including that win on the contender series to punch his ticket to the UFC. Uh, but some of the guys that he's facing in that run, their records don't look the greatest. But on the Canadian regional MMA scene for the lower weight classes, he's fighting some guys that are actual names north of the border. James Mancini, I believe he was a high level wrestler that he was able to choke out in the first round. Uh, Randy Turner may have been a little bit on the downslope of of his career at the time but was definitely known as one of the best uh, 125 135 pound guys in Canada at that time Eric Wilson 7 and 7 record 
not the greatest, but again, another guy that at one time was seen as one of the best guys in the lower weight classes. Terrence Chan, another guy as well. Craig McClain, another guy. And even Brady Heistad, uh, I believe he was on the Ultimate Fighter, not this most recent season, but the one before that. And uh, he was able to beat him in the third round. But one thing we've known from Brady, not the greatest cardio himself. So uh, that's why we see Ann Helliger able to get him out of there in the third round of that fight. But yeah, I absolutely agree with you. I think Ann Helliger is going to go out there, eventually get the finish. But rather than take, take the juice on Ann Helliger, I'm taking the under two and a half. I personally have a bet on it at minus 162. It's pretty much my biggest bet of the night. Uh, only at two units, but I do like it quite a lot as I like the, the violence here. I cashed it. Uh, I believe it was the under one and a half against Montel Jackson and Jesse Strader's UFC debut. I intend on doing the same thing here when he steps in for his sophomore run in the UFC. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. Uh, we have a women's strawweight bout. Uh, Diana Balbita weighing in at 116 pounds. Gloria DePaula coming in at 115.5. In terms of odds, it was a pick the last time I checked. And that's... Ex oh, actually, we got minus 120 now for Balbita and plus two, uh, 100 the return on Gloria DePaula. Um, De Balbita, uh, I actually want to get your uh, uh, answer to this before I break down this fight. When you see somebody exclaim the way they normally do, like when they make the weight, is that an indication of how hard the weight cut was? Or is it more so that they're just happy that part of the, the fight is over? Did she go crazy on the... Uh, like like as crazy? soon as they heard, as soon as she heard 116, she like puts her hands in the air and then she's like, wait, wait a second, I got to keep my cool and then gets into her pretty stance and all that type of stuff. But like, I've kind of, I don't know if that's just something that I'm picking up on or if it's something that you can kind of attest to from the experience that you've had. Well, it's a couple things. So the first, the first thing is, is those UFC scales are are less than what your scales will be. The UFC has every motivation to make sure that every fight goes on as scheduled as contracted. There's too much red tape, so the scales are always going to weigh less than than your actual real weight is probably. I, believe me, I know that. I was just at a UFC event. Okay. Um, <laughs> So when she weighs in at 116, right on the limit, that's because in the hotel room, she was 116 and a half. And she can't believe her eyes that, man, on the test scale and on the real scale, wow, I made the weight. That's awesome. I get to keep 20%. So there's a little bit of that. It, it's surprising. And then the second part is it's just it's over. Yeah. I, I think um, Tino told me this a long time ago. It's a lot less like, like, unless somebody... Not even about the weight cut so much as it is the uh the conditioning before the weight cut and then the rehydration afterwards she can just be happy that it's done happy that it's over i made the weight i feel like i may have lost you a little bit there there we go we're back. Okay. We're back. We're back. <laughs> but yeah, no, I I get you. I, I've seen some guys cut weight in the past. And when, when I've noticed them step on the scale and they have that relief, it's just like, oh yeah, I know that guy was struggling in the sauna or I know that guy was struggling in the sauna suit, whatever it may be. And that could be the situation here for Deanna Balbita. But in terms of how these women match up, uh, primarily strikers, right? Uh, Deanna Balbita mainly got the majority of her work done over there in Romania where she was able to go up against women that really didn't even deserve to be professional MMA 
fighters, in my opinion. She's able to kind of march forward with reckless abandon and get them out of there. Then when she starts stepping into the UFC, she's facing wrestling, which is something that she didn't see as much in the RXF uh, realm. But, uh, you know, she gets uh, Molly whopped by Molly McCann. She goes out there and loses her next fight uh, to uh, Liana Joljua due to bad fight IQ, in my opinion, right? She's winning the striking, takes the fight to the ground, and falls right into an armbar not the way you want to go out. But luckily, she was able to turn that misfortune around in her next fight against Hannah Goldie, taking her out via decision in that fight. It did get hairy for a little bit at the end of that uh, fight where uh, Goldie, with about like 30 or 45 seconds left, finds herself in full mount and absolutely raining down some big blows there. Uh, and that's obviously the concern on the 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 Balbita side, but even the DePaula side, that is a bit of a concern is it, it, it comes down to who ends up wrestling, right? If they just want to go out there and have a kickboxing match, I think DePaula wins that. She's a crisper striker. Uh, she puts combinations together a little bit better. My only concern would be is the potential volume coming from the Valbita side. It may not be crisp. It may not look pretty at times, but if she's able to put up numbers and if and it affects the scorecards and the judging, optically it looks much better for her. But I think it's going to be DePaula that will be landing the better strikes in those situations, landing the cleaner, crisper shots down the middle, landing the leg kick every now and then. And I think that could be more than enough for her to end up getting her hand raised. But in hindsight, one of them could look minus 300 if they go out there and actively grapple. Because I think both of them very much lack in the takedown defense realm. Uh, and even in terms of being able to get back to their feet, very, very much... Uh, they're lackadaisical in a, in, a, in a sense, right? We saw actually in DePaula's last fight, she got taken down by Cheyenne uh, Bays or Vlismas now, uh, and she was able to work her way back to her feet, unfortunately, in a very poor manner, and she gets uh, kicked in the face for her troubles there and gets knocked out in that fight. So hopefully she's learned something from there. But that was promising. Even though she got knocked out, it was promising that she was able to get out from under uh, Vlismas, especially in her last fight uh, before that, uh, where she was unable to do so against Jinyu Fry. So uh, I, I lean to Paula here. It all depends on what kind of game plan they come out with. I'm hearing rumblings that DePaulo is going to be the one actively grappling. Who knows until they actually step inside the cage. Uh, but even if this is a 15-minute kickboxing fight, I still lean on the DePaula side as I do think she's the better fighter in this situation. So uh, DePaula, DePaula decision is what I'm looking at. But I could be absolutely off on this if uh, Belbita is the one that goes out there and starts to wrestle. How do you feel about this one? <laughs> Man, the more that I think about this one, the more that I like it. I Santino was trying to get me on on Belbita, and I I can't get there. I can't get there. I can't get there. And the the reason is, uh, first of all, I do want to say this. It's funny. Every girl in the UFC was a uh, ex kind of Muay Thai nine time world Muay champion Muay Thai champion in whatever weird country they come from, and every time they look horrible. Like Bia Maleki looks god awful standing. Like all these girls just look horrible. Um, Belbita's crazy uh she you know she kind of pre-plans the combination she'll throw she she thinks three or four punches and she's just gonna throw them no matter what whereas the thing i see with gloria de paula is she reacts she's a very good counter puncher she's patient her her boxing is actually pretty nice like for for women's mma and women's standards her hands are clean um and then a couple things you know I, i've made so much money on uh on Jinyu fry she's my cash cow she does everything correctly. She's very physically strong. Uh, and then in that Velismus fight, I crushed Velismus. And in hindsight, I wish I would have put every dollar I had on that one, knowing how good that Cheyenne is. She would have beat her anywhere that fight went, but she's a good wrestler. Um, I don't think that Belbisa is that person. 
She's not that person. She makes such critical mistakes. I think her fight IQ is, is really not that good. Um, the only thing that concerns me in a stand-up battle is, uh, is the volume. Like you said, how, how do the judges value the volume? And it looks like you're trying to win the fight versus the patience, the accuracy, the sniper. Um, I, I really think that, uh, I think the, the being on the back issue for DePaula is very overstated. I think the Jinyu Fry fight was a bad one, but you look at the fight right before that against Pauline Macias, that girl's yeah. on the Olympic judo team. She's a good wrestler. And every time she tried to take Gloria DePaula down, she's hitting guillotines and using it to stand up. She was defending. She could see things coming in front of her very, very well. And at least stopping the initial shot. She's so long. She's got great knees, good clinch. The more that I think about this one, I think this is going to be a runaway Gloria DePaula fight. I think she's better everywhere, man. I just, that's what I got on this one. It's interesting how much people's perspective on a certain fighter changes after like one fight. You know, even the 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 base fight for DePaula, it didn't even get to last super long for us to see how much improvements or what she actually brings to the table. But I remember coming off the contender series, she was a big favorite over Jin Yu Fry, and then she loses a the, the, in that fashion to Jin Yu Fry. Now people are just throwing her to the side. What it reminds me of is Tyler Santos when she made her UFC debut against uh, Mara Romero Barella. I believe she was a big favorite in that fight. She gets out grinded in that fight and now people want to throw her away making her an underdog to molly mccann let me repeat that making her an underdog to molly mccann and people confidently betting molly mccann on that side uh i was happy to take all the plus money on tyler santos that night but uh that it just goes to show like what have you done for me lately and i'm gonna bet like that no, we got to look at the whole picture here. We got to look at what they actually bring to the table. And there's a reason Gloria DePaulo was a big favorite going into the Jinyu Fry fight. There's a reason, you know, she was near evens, I believe, against Cheyenne by uh, Bays. You know, she's not that bad. But do you I think hey, go ahead. Uh, do you remember my my little theory that I used to that I used to talk about all the time? I, I believe so, like closing the the underdog closing or something like that. Well, so, okay, so look at their records, right? Deanna Belbita, she's 14 and six, and Gloria DePaula's five and four. So one girl's, you know, near 500 record. When the odds are that close, she's an, a plus 100 underdog. Shouldn't she be, you know, plus 400 or something with, with records like that? Like if you looked yeah. at nothing else and you just looked at records. So when you have somebody who's 500, uh, almost 500 record, and she's pretty much a pick em, that's almost always telling you, it reminds me of random Marcos in her last fight. It was the exact oh, yeah. same situation. And she went out and smoked that girl. It wasn't even close, the uh, Lavania Souza or whatever. So yeah. to me, this is Gloria DePaula by a mile. I just think technically she's better than people give her credit for. And she's that shoot a box, man. They're not going to let her keep doing stupid shit forever. Yeah, I, I like it. I like it. I might even be uh, talking myself into a DePaul uh, bet uh, after this. After <laughs> I this love it. Hey, breakdown me too. Well. I, again, I hate betting against uh, uh, an adopted Canadian in Diana Balbita. She trains like an hour away from where I live. Uh, I know all of her coaches and all that stuff, but I just don't know how much they can do with her to, to beat a girl like DePaulo, who, in my opinion, seems to be a little bit more complete. And you seem to be agreeing with that assessment as well. All right. Let's move on to the next fight here. We got a featherweight clash between the returning Chas Skelly. He comes in at 146 pounds. Mark Striegel comes in at 145 pounds. Now, I just want to quickly pull this up because I found it very interesting on Chas Skelly's Instagram. He posted last night during his weight cut. Uh, let me see how long ago that was now because, uh, yeah, 20 hours ago, 
The guy had 12 and a half pounds left to cut. And I don't know how the fuck he did it. And you got guys like Gabriel Benitez that are missing weight by two pounds, comes in with 15 minutes into the weigh-in window, misses by two pounds, doesn't even bother cutting the extra two pounds. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, though, Chad Skelly is like a lifetime wrestler, so I'm sure that guy's been living in the, the sauna and cutting weight. There's no way that guy was going to miss weight, especially what could be his potential retirement fight that he's been talking about here. So he cut 12 and a half pounds in... 17 hours, which is absolutely mind-numbing to me that guys are able to do that. But Chas Kelly is a fucking professional, man. He's come through with a lot of bad luck over the last couple of fights, uh, just being uh, having those fights fall out. I believe in total he's had four fights fall out. Uh, I believe two of them were due to him pulling out, and then one of them was that weird Jamal Emmer's situation where Emmer's uh, minutes before they're supposed to walk out ends up having back spasms warming up in the back, uh, and unfortunately they have to call that fight off. But luckily, uh, Chas Kelly knock on what is going to be able to fight tomorrow against Mark Striegel. Uh, this will look to be a, mainly a, a, a competitive grappling fight for as long as uh, Mark Striegel's gas tank can hold up. I've seen Chas Kelly kind of slow down in past fights as well, but I still do think that he will be the one with a little bit more gas the later that this fight goes. Um, I do believe he's the better in the scrambles as well. Mark Striegel, uh, you know, at a certain time, it seems like he accepts being, uh, you know, taken advantage of in, in terms of allowing the guy to be a step ahead of him. And I feel like Chas Kelly is really good at those situations. Uh, Chas Kelly striking, though, the complete opposite. Absolutely atrocious, horrendous. And I say that with all due respect because I like Chas Kelly, but his striking does not deserve to be inside the UFC. It's he's lucky that his grappling is as good as it is. And I think here against Striegel, it's going to be uh good enough for him to be able to get the W here. Uh, I do think he'll be able to push this into the third round where he should be able to take over and possibly find a finish. Uh, round three plus 1000 on Chas Kelly is kind of what I'm liking here the most. The only red flags for me though are the obvious retirement talk the multitude of injuries that he's had over the last two years and then obviously the amount of layoff that he's had in the last couple of years as well not a good look 36 years old he even talked about having to leave sanford mma because uh he just couldn't afford living in florida anymore uh, i believe he went back to texas if i'm not mistaken but then once he got another fight booked he was able to get back to sanford and i don't know if he's just you know uh couch surfing on one uh, a teammate's couch or something like that but he's out there in sanford uh trying to get the best training camp possible for possibly his last fight striegel aligned himself with the mma lab down there in arizona wondering how much that's going to help him out obviously he's going up a weight class now to 145 pounds where he fills out a little bit better right seems like he's really sucking himself down to get down to 135 pounds i'm interested to see how that could potentially help his cardio moving forward i'm not going to put too much weight on it i'm going to think that we see some somewhat of the same mark striegel as we've always seen where he's strong and and sturdy early on but i think he's going to start to fall behind the more and more they start to grapple here i'd be surprised if this this turns out to be more of a striking battle than a grappling battle and if it's more of a grappling battle which i think it's going to be i think we see skelly always a step ahead here and eventually get the finish later on in this fight how do you feel about the scrap this one's interesting so you know a few weeks ago when i got on you for the Danilo marquez pick I, I can't for the life of me believe why you guys aren't on striegel for the opposite reason right the, the first thing we look at we talk about betting bible all the time is the age right 35 36 <clears throat> years old 35 is kind of that dividing line right so we have Chaz skelly who doesn't have good cardio he was dog shit tired in almost every fight come round two. Uh, his, his MMA wrestling is really not, not that good. Um, you know, whatever his accolades were, but his MMA wrestling is not phenomenal. 
His striking is some of the worst stuff I've ever seen. I mean, he has so many negative ticks against him and his age. He hasn't fought in two and a half years. There's so many things to be on the opposite side. I can't believe Clint is not screaming this from the rooftops. <laughs> like, gotta get on Striegel. Like, if there's any good dog you could possibly choose, it would be Striegel, right? He's he's 33 years old. He made a move to the lab. And, and like Santino said last night, the lab is going to make sure that you're strong and you're in shape and you're ready to throw the down, right? I mean, that's that's the lab's characteristics. Um, Striegel, lifelong wrestler. Is he the most impressive guy on earth? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. But he has experience in one. He works out of submissions. He's a competent grappler. And he is miles and miles and miles ahead of, of Skelly as a as a striker. I mean, you are miles ahead of Skelly as a, <laughs> as a striker. Um, you know, I, I, I think, man, if, if you guys just want to throw some dumb money down, why not on Striegel? He's moving up a weight class. His body's going to feel so much better. He's going to do crazy conditioning. It's not like Skelly is a freaking marathon runner. Like I, I really think that if Jordan Griffin did less in that last fight, he would win. And it's not to say Skelly doesn't have good grappling. Skelly's grappling is phenomenal. Me and Santino's style is actually really cl probably closer to Skelly's grappling than most other people, right? It's a lot of chest locks and back takes and switches. And he does so many things that are really, really phenomenal. But if, if Jordan Griffin did less in that fight, stop trying to engage, stop playing in the clinch. If he just literally did less, stood on the outside, sprawled and brawled, he would put Skelly away in the second round brutally. I mean, it would be on a highlight reel. Um, man, fighters watch tape too. Fighters know what they're, they're looking at. They, they come up with game plans. Like to me, this is going to be like one of the best dogs on the card. I think Shriegel to fight for your money. You're fading everything that is Chaz Skelly. And again, not that he's not, you know, a good grappler. He is, he does things right. Age layoff striking cardio. There's so many things you can, so many angles. You can look at this one. I like Striegel here. I don't hate it. Again, you make some really good points in terms of uh, Striegel, obviously the age and, and all the other red flags that we laid out on the Skelly side, which is why I'm not ultimately going to be putting any money on Skelly outside of that round three prop. I just Those are just too sexy for me. If I feel I feel uh, like I have a legit, legitimate angle there, I'm going to take advantage of it, especially if it's at plus 1,000. I got to take a little bit of a shot there. Why not just a Skelly sub prop? I mean, I think he could catch him any round with a nice dar, sir. He's he's good with that stuff. Yes, yeah. He does have a his long, lanky frame. Obviously, helps him in those situations. Skelly's sub is currently sitting at uh, plus one eighty. I mean, I, oh, I like to, not I like as to gamble. I like to gamble. Yeah. B. You know, what I mean, I like to gamble. Not as juicy than that. Exactly. There you go. All right, let's keep this thing moving along. Next up, we got. Um, uh, a women's bantamweight scrap here between Jessica Rose Clark, who came in at 135.5 pounds, and Stephanie Egger, who came in right on the nose at 135 pounds. Uh, in terms of odds, we are currently looking at minus 170 for Jessica Rose Clark and plus 150 the return on Stephanie Egger. I'll let you kick this one off, man. What do you think of this bantamweight scrap? Oh, I hate this fight. This is though this is the hardest one on the entire card to me because it's women's MMA. Uh, you have two girls with like that are just not excellent anywhere. They're not like spectacular at any one thing. I guess you could say Egger is a good grappler. She's competed in ADCC against really good people. Uh, very good positionally. Uh, man, I hate this fight. I, I really think <laughs> the only good way to approach this one is maybe over a round and a half. I think Jessica Rose Clark, a much better striker. Uh, I think her wrestling is not amazing. And I think Egger's wrestling is non-existent, but the judo looks sometimes are a little bit... Uh, unorthodox and they'll catch people 
if she gets on top, she should dominate. So I, this is a complete toss up to me. I just like a round and a half and that's where I'm ending that one. Over round and a half currently sits at minus 425. Uh, I, I believe you'd be talking about the over two and a half, which is currently around minus 260, which is obviously the widely available total there as well. But I, I like the dog here. I'm actually going to be on the Stephanie Yeager side. Uh, I got in on her at plus 170 earlier this morning. Um, shout out to Corbett for a great line there. But uh, yeah, um, if it, it really comes down to how Jessica Rose Clark decides to fight this fight, right? She could either make it harder on herself or she can make it easier on herself. But either way, I feel like we're going to see Edgar eventually get on, get into that clinch, eventually be the stronger fighter. The little thick can go out there and post as many videos of her deadlifting and squatting and all that stuff. It's not going to help her when she starts tying up with an Olympic level judoka like uh, Stephanie Edgar. And I think that we'll see her start to flip her onto her head and onto her back. And I think uh, from there, we'll see Stephanie Edgar have tremendous success from on top. I even think Agra will be the stronger one once this fight gets into those clinch positions. Um, I, I see this a lot, uh, at least this week as well. People comparing the Tracy Cortez fight uh, to what's going to happen here, uh, where Tracy Cortez was obviously positionally way more dominant against Stephanie Agra, getting her into positions where she needed her, got her back multiple times. But there is no way, and I'm glad that you guys kind of confirmed this for me last night, no way you can con compare Tracy Cortez's grappling to Jessica Rose Clark's grappling. They are night and day, as you guys had said. I saw it on tape myself. I That's what I believed. I was, I was happy that you guys were able to confirm that for me as well. And I think that's where people are starting to be misled, that Jessica Rose Clark, if she looks to go out there and grapple, will be able to replicate what Tracy Cortez did. No, she's not. She's going to get flipped onto her head. She's going to get overpowered in those situations. And then Stephanie Edgar is going to find herself on top. Uh, the, the striking, sure, you could give that advantage to Jessica Rose Clark. But it's not like like the, the previous fight that you're talking about, Mark Striegel against uh, Chaz Kelly. It's not that bad in comparison. Uh, Edgar is definitely making improvements in her striking, but it's evident that she gets her best work done when she's able to get her opponent on the ground. So yeah, write me down for uh, Stephanie Yeager. Even at plus 150, I think it's a decent line. I got in at plus 170. She's going to be my dog of the night play. I wouldn't even be surprised if she actually pulls off a submission here. Uh, you know, maybe catching Jessica Rose uh, overextending on something a little bit too much on the ground. Uh, Egger via submission plus 800. Let's take that shit to the bank. Who knows? Maybe that, wow. that's something. There you go. That's something that, that we can That's a great with. play. I, I think that that's a, such a great play. And that's that's a really good dog. I, I think she could easily, easily win this. I hate making a bet on a fight where you have to hope that the fighter fights in a certain way. Because I think if it's a clinch fight, I think Egger's got the advantage all the way. I think the only way Rose Clark wins is if she keeps it striking. And that's a hard bet to hope that they have that certain game plan like that. Um, also, I do want to say this, just like you're saying with Cortez, if you guys think that Tracy Cortez and, uh, Jessica Rose Clark are the same level of wrestler and grappler, get your life savings, put it in a dumpster and just take <laughs> lighter fluid. Cause you might as well be doing the same thing. Uh, just light it on fire. No, I, I absolutely agree with you. She can get away with it against a girl like Sarah Alpar, who on paper should have been the better wrestler in that fight. She was not. She can get away with it against Jocelyn Edwards, who has no takedown defense and can't wrestle at all. Sure, but she's not going to be able to get away with it against a girl like Stephanie Egger. And you're not going to be able to sit here and tell me that she goes out there and wins a 15-minute kickboxing match against Egger, who will willingly stay at kickboxing range with her? Nah. We, we, we got Stephanie Yeager here, and hopefully the Swiss woman can come through for your boy. All right.
Let's move on to the next fight. And this is the prelim headliner. Uh, the only weightless on the card, Mowgli Benitez coming in at 148 pounds. David Onama coming in at 144.5 pounds. In terms of odds, uh, we got minus 160 now on Onama, plus 140 the return on Gabriel Benitez. Now, I, I got a little bit, uh, I got to get this off my chest. I tweeted about it. I got to say it, actually say it now too. There's nothing that pisses me off more than somebody that misses weight by one, two, even three pounds, and they are like the fourth or fifth person on the scale. I know Mowgli was like 10 minutes into the weigh-in window. He stepped onto the scale, easily missed weight there. You have an hour and 50 more minutes to go out there and try to cut the extra two pounds, at least. And even if you miss at that point, you buy yourself another hour as per commission rules to go out there and try to cut the remaining weight. The fact that he stepped on the scale at 148 pounds, 10 to 15 minutes, as soon as the weigh-in started, showed me that this guy either, one, was not medically cleared to continue cutting weight, which is a viable reason. I will absolutely understand that. But to me, it was just like, oh, this weight cut's getting too hard. Fuck it. I'm gone. And this isn't the first time he's done it, right? I believe he fought. I think it was against JSP. I could be wrong on this. Or even TJ Brown, somebody. But he was scheduled to fight them. Couldn't make it to the scale um was trying to get a catch rate the entire week apparently he was trying to get a catch rate this week as well and uh james cross and the boys were like nah dog we were contracted for 145 pounds you got to make 145 pounds otherwise we're getting 30 percent of your purse and that's exactly what david onama is finding himself with this weekend he's getting an extra 30 uh 30 onto his purse with gabriel benitez not making weight that just riles me up that pisses me off alex Perez did it last week as well that guy could have cut that guy's a wrestler You've been cutting weight your whole life, dog. You got to go out there and try to make weight. So he he missed it. I don't blame Matt Schnell for turning down the fight. Everybody wants to rag on Matt Schnell. He accepted his last fight because his opponent missed weight. He ended up taking it now. I don't know, you know how, what the difference would have made if the extra two pounds were allowed here. But still, not a good look, especially for a veteran like Gabriel Benitez, who's been around the game for so long. Not a good look. Now, let's turn that page over and talk about the fight itself. I do think that Gabriel Benitez is a great striker. Great southpaw, great inside leg kicks, great body kicks, super sharp down the middle, has had success against much worse uh, or much better competition in the past, most notably Sadiq Yusuf, who, was he, who he was able to touch up a little bit before he eventually got knocked out in that fight. We saw him just absolutely tear up Justin James, who obviously doesn't really deserve to be inside the UFC, let's be honest, um, and has had competitive striking battles against even guys like Omar Morales. David Onama in his eight-fight winning streak on the regional scene hasn't really shown me anything that makes me believe that he's going to beat an experienced guy like Gabriel Benitez. Like, he, again, and I say this with all due respect, I apologize if this was one of your teammates that he went up against uh, on the regional scene, but my guy Magic said it perfectly last night. He, he's beating up on eight taxi drivers uh, on the regional scene and favorable matchups, albeit, considering he's the hometown guy in every single one of those fights. Even the last guy that he fought before coming to the UFC a six-fight veteran at 37 years old. That guy's not made for MMA at this point in time. He was just thrown in there because he had a nice record at 5-1 and one and hoping that people were going to overlook the fact that he was 37 years old. David Onama just bided his time, waited for his proper moment, exploded, and eventually got the guy out of there, just like he has in the, the, the last uh, seven fights of his. Then we saw him against Mason Jones. And there's no way Mason Jones ever covers minus 500 unless he fights a guy like Alan Patrick again. That's why everybody's all in a hoopla that David Onama is probably better uh, than Gabriel Benitez in the spot. And he's more than likely going to go out there and beat him. 
the, the weight cut and weight miss obviously have me a little bit concerned about the potential durability of Gabriel Benitez because Onama definitely can crack, but he's a little bit wild with his strikes. And that's what gives me concern here, whereas the crisper strike on Gabriel Benitez might be able to get to the punch quicker than what Onama is going to be able to. And then as he's ripping up the body, as he's not allowing Onama to fight the fight that he needs to fight, I think uh, Benitez starts to pull out longer and longer and longer uh, or pull ahead uh, the further that this fight goes. I'm not even counting out the possibility of Benitez finishing him in this spot either, which I'm kind of talking myself into at this point in time. Actually, the, the over-under is now at one and a half. If it was the widely available over-under was two and a half, which currently sits at minus 140, I think that would be a decent spot because both guys have finishing capabilities here. We know Onama can crack. Can he crack a guy like Gabriel Benitez who's been KO'd in three out of 11 UFC appearances, but those guys that he's losing to can either crack or their name is Billy Quarantillo, a guy that just goes out there and just grinds the shit out of his opponents until they break, and then he eventually gets them out of there late in their fights. That's not how Onama fights, but we'll see if he can eventually find that chin of Gabriel Benitez and put him down. I will keep my pick and prediction as Benitez. The weight cut and weight miss obviously have me a, a little bit concerned, but um, I am ultimately going to stay away from betting him in this spot. I will still pick him. I'm not going to bet him. I'm going with Mowgli. Please make your case for this fight. You know what? And I, I wanted to be with you so badly. I tried so hard. I, I was prepared. I was prepared to die on the Gabriel Benitez Hill this week because what I am seeing in the striking, I, I would I would not say he's a great kickboxer. He's a competent. He's a decent kickboxer. Um, his punches are so much straighter and so much cleaner than David Onama. Now, if I can for a minute, also defend my guy, Mason Jones. I cannot stand the Mason Jones slander because the guy <laughs> was a, he's a two division cage warriors champion. You know who else was a two division cage warriors champion? Connor McGregor. He's got skills. The kid is good. Cage warriors is a tough organization, but the thing with Mason Jones is he makes a lot of people look better than they are. He, He's willing to eat 5 million punches and just still be there when, when you're done. And the thing with, with Onama that I like is he, he never broke in that fight. He kept fighting hard as hell on such short notice the entire time. The kid is young. He's hungry. He's got ridiculous cardio. He's got power. Um, I, I wanted to die on this, on this Benitez Hill, but after just the lack of professionalism, missing weight, you know, like you said, showing up 15 minutes into the weight cut and saying, I'm not going to cut anymore. It's just unprofessional. It's just showing he's done. It just looks like he's done fighting. He's unmotivated. He needs money. Like I, I can't get behind somebody like that. Now let, let me defend Mr. Onama here. Okay. He, he trains at David or I'm sorry, uh, uh, James Krause's gym. Okay. FAC is their local promotion. Why would you fight tough guys in the beginning? Like, like as a coach, why would you ever put your guy against somebody tough in the beginning? He's young. He's, you know, he's, he's 27 years old now, and he's in the big show. He's in the UFC, and he looked great against Mason Jones. There's no need to fight world beaters. You're going to have a 3-3 three and three record trying to get into the UFC. They'll never look at you. You can only beat who's in front of you, and he's beat everybody, and he's looked impressive doing it. He's fought jiu-jitsu black belts. He's fought Midwest wrestlers. He's fought tough guys, you know, at least giving him some kind of wrinkle. I think he's got a lot of work to do. I think he needs to polish up his striking. I think his wrestling definitely needs work. He's got a lot of holes here, but at the end of the day, 
I'm going to choose the guy. Th this fight almost reminds me of uh, of Ray Cooper and Rory McDonald. Oh, yeah. Every everything told me Rory, uh, Rory McDonald. Everything. He's better everywhere. Wrestling's better. Striking is miles better. He's just better everywhere. He was unmotivated. He didn't want to be there. He's fighting for a million dollars, and it looked like he just, you know, he's going to take a nap. So I'm going to choose the younger, the hungrier, the the more athletic, the better cardio, the better chin. I like Onama here. I, I, again, I, as week has gone on, uh, I, I don't blame you. I don't, I don't mind that take at all. I could absolutely see it a little bit more. Again, earlier in the week, I was ready to die on that Mowgli Benitez hill uh, close to you as well. <laughs> Me and you will be right at the top of that hill together. But uh, yeah, as the week has gone on, my my love for him you start to fall off a little bit. But I'm still going to take Benitez to win the fight. No bet on my end. All right, that takes us right into the main card. I want to take this time to remind the 170 live viewers that we currently have. Make sure you guys smash that like and subscribe. And then show my guy Brandon some love as well. I have his uh, Instagram and Twitter accounts linked in the description below. Make sure you guys click that and hit him with the follow. Because as you guys can already tell, 45 minutes into the stream, the guy knows what he's fucking talking about. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. First fight on the main card, we got Joaquin Buckley coming in at a slender 183 pounds. Abdul Razak Al-Hassan, probably happy he doesn't have to cut to welterweight anymore, comes in at 186 pounds. In terms of odds, we're currently looking at minus 165 for Joaquin Buckley, plus 145 for Abdul Razak Al-Hassan. Uh, I feel like this is one of the most volatile fights on the card, right? Because this fight could go either way with one punch with either one of these guys, or... It could go a completely different way where both these guys aren't landing the cleanest, crispest shots on each other. And we just get a 15-minute fight out of both of these guys when everybody's expecting this to be a barn burner and one of these guys to go out. I, my tinfoil hat conspiracy theory of the week is that this fight actually goes the full 15 minutes where we get, you know, Joaquin Buckley maybe employing a little bit of grappling, trying to wear on the muscles of Al-Hassan and trying to, you know, save himself from the big power coming back from him. Uh, I know he's aligned himself with Extreme Couture for uh, a couple weeks now as well. Maybe they're trying to instill a full game to him now compared to just his power striking style, which I don't mind because he throws in combinations. You know, it, it didn't work out the greatest for him in, in his UFC debut against Kevin Holland because Holland has that range down perfectly in that fight and he was able to get out of the way of those big shots but al-hassan uh like i said used to be a welterweight coming in at uh, a middleweight now i believe for his second or third trip to the octagon but uh you know mainly just a big puncher if he's not able to get you out of the out of there in round one it gets very tough for him in rounds two and three uh, round one right now for Al-Hassan sits at plus 475, which seems to be almost an auto bet in every single one of his fights because that's his only way to win. I hate myself for not even, even though I picked Deke Rico to win the fight against Al-Hassan, plus 600 for him to win inside round one. That seemed just like maybe even a good little hedge opportunity if you had any sort of concern that Deke Rico was not going to get it done that night. But he gets that head kick off and he eventually gets him out of there. Um Tough fight for me. It's tough to back a guy like Al-Hassan, whose only win condition is usually getting that one-punch knockout. I know he's with Team Elevation now, and I'm interested to see how they're kind of crafting him to be a more complete fighter, because that's great, Jim. They got great head coaches over there, Cody Donovan, Elliot Marshall, all those guys over there. They know what they're doing, and I'm interested to see what they're going to do to craft Al-Hassan into a much better fighter. But I do think that this gets into those one of those spots where both these guys are landing, maybe not the cleanest shots, but enough that one of them will start to pull out ahead in terms of numbers. And I think that's going to start to be Buckley. And maybe he eventually catches him with a punch and gets him out of there. But the only guy that's been able to knock out Al-Hassan is Chaos Williams, who has 
insane power for 170 pounds. That guy has ridiculous power. And the fact that he got Al Hassan out there the way that he did, uh, I believe it. Buckley, on the other hand, he looks like a guy that should have a ton of knockouts on his record. But more often than not, he does like to go to a decision just with his power punching style. Most of his opponents are able to take those big shots and keep chugging on forward. Um, I I'm going to go Buckley here. Uh, conspiracy theory bet of the week is the the fight goes to decision at plus 240 buckley via decision uh currently sitting at plus 550 if i'm putting any money on this fight it's just a little bit of a sprinkle on that I, i'm not a big fan of this fight like i said most volatile fight on the card it could end in 15 seconds or it could go 15 minutes who the fuck knows i'm going to uh buckley side though how do you see this one let me uh let me try to give this as as unbiased as i can uh, <laughs> i know where you're going with this i know exactly where you're going with this but go ahead <laughs> my, my last memory of uh abdul razak al hassan is uh sitting in a hotel room drunk losing watching seventy thousand dollars disappear in uh in about 17 seconds so let me try to give this as unbiased as possible um man okay i, I guys i why are we overthinking this one? I, I think Abdul Razak Al Hassan is a horrible, horrible fighter. He not not necessarily that his punches and his kicks are horrible. He's fine. He punches good. He's very explosive. He's got power. He's got all these things that you would look for, and he has it for about two minutes and thirty seconds. The guy gets tired not even just from wrestling and grappling exchanges. The guy gets tired in in punching exchanges. Now what's changing? He's thirty seven. Was he thirty seven years old? Thirty eight years old? I mean, uh, 36, 36, he'll be 37 yeah. in August. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's 36 years old. You know, I, I like team elevation. I respect them a lot. I think they make some really, really good, uh, good fighters. I love Benjamin Bennett that trains there. Everybody that's up there, but what is he going to learn new in the, as a 36 year old man, what new wrinkle is he adding to his game? Like there's only so much you can do once you're that far in your career right? He knows how to punch. He knows how to kick. The only thing that he can work on is, uh, is his cardio. And the only way for him to, to be great is to not have that crazy explosive style that he's known for. The things that make Abdul Razak Al Hassan great are also the things that are going to make him lose. You think he's going to outpoint Joaquin Buckley, who's got phenomenal boxing, great volume. The kid is brutal. He doesn't cut much. He doesn't cut any weight, right? So he's got great cardio. I think Joaquin Buckley is a star and I, I can't believe, uh, you know, he caught, he caught the Chirico. He, he caught him fair and square. He caught him clean before that he was only beating guys who really wanted to fight him. Sabaho Masi might have the worst fight IQ of all time <laughs> and was willing to throw the fuck down with him. Not once, but two times and get KO'd brutally twice. Like all I see is Buckley keeping, you keep a nice high, tight guard, which he is known for, right? He catches punches. He looks clean. The kid is game. He's got fight IQ. He can wrestle. I, I don't even think this one's close. I think you guys are overthinking it. And for me, perfect. Please let's pump up out Abdul Razak Al Hassan. I'm going to keep eating all the dips on, uh, on the younger, better, cleaner, more explosive, maybe not more explosive, but I, I, I the better, uh, Joaquin Buckley here. Easy. I like it. I love the confidence that you're bringing in here with this match. I'm staying away for that. I'll sprinkle the uh, Buckley decision outside of that. I just want to keep clear of this. All right. 
Let's move on to the next fight here. We got a super veteran of the UFC, Jim Miller, weighing in at 156 pounds. He's going up against debutante Nicholas Moto, who's coming in at 145.5 pounds. In terms of odds, we got minus 180 on Nicholas Moto, plus 155 the return on Jim Miller. Now, they were originally scheduled to fight a couple months ago, or earlier last year, I should say, and uh, the line was roughly at a pick'em. Now it's sitting at minus 180 for Moto, like I said, uh, plus 155 for the return on Jim Miller. The only difference is the Eric Gonzalez fight where uh, Jim Miller seemed to be on wobbly legs uh, at a certain point in that first round, but he was able to parlay that right into a takedown that he got effortlessly and was able to clear the cobwebs by staying on top of Eric Gonzalez and then eventually finishing him in the second round. Uh, on the flip side for Nicholas Mota, mainly a striker, right? Wants to go out there, try to put some combinations together or try to uh, uh, knock you out and send your head into the fifth row of the stands. Uh, an interesting stat from his last fight in the uh, uh, in the Contender Series, uh, he, he landed 44 strikes. 42 of those were to the head. The guy did not try to go for the body or the legs or anything like that. The guy wanted to try to knock out his opponent. I believe his name was Joseph Lowry, uh, but was unsuccessful in doing so, but still put together uh, or painted a really good picture in that fight, which eventually got him that uh, UFC contract. Um, Jim Miller, in my opinion, could potentially get him out of there early, take him down, use the submission. That seems to be Nicholas Mota's weakness in his game is, is the takedowns and, and the jujitsu. But the longer that this fight goes, Mota probably starts to take over with the striking. And I think he could eventually find that knockout blow of Jim Miller as well. The only spot that I was looking to look uh, to bet here was the under two and a half, which currently sits at uh, minus 140. I uh, haven't officially made the bet myself. I'm considering it. There's been a couple of Jim Miller fights in the past where I felt like it's a sure thing. It's more than likely going to hit. And then it goes the full 15 minutes. And that's probably what's sitting in the back of my head right now is that I don't want to get burned by this situation again. But it seems like a pretty obvious path here as both guys have finishing capabilities. And Jim Miller really starts to drop off the later that fights go. And that should uh, give the opening to, for Nicholas Mota to eventually find that knockout. Uh, prediction is going to be Mota. Uh, under two and a half is my favorite play. Haven't pulled the trigger on anything myself. How do you feel about this one? I like this one a lot too. Um, you know, I, I, I really, uh, I really tried to find a way to, to have Jim Miller as the winner here. Um, in his last fight, man, I, I couldn't have been more confident in Jim Miller and he really shocked me. You know, I, I would love to call Jim Miller, the guy with the most fights in UFC history, an ultra vet, but it's weird because he really doesn't fight like an ultra vet. He, a lot of times he goes out there, he blows his wad. He's exhausted. He'll find himself on the bottom. He doesn't get up. Like Jim Miller weirdly makes a lot of mistakes for a guy who's had damn near 40 UFC fights. Um, you know, even on, on Eric Gonzalez regional scene, I didn't see a lot of power out of him. He wasn't doing that to anybody else, but he did that to Jim Miller, which was really surprising to me. Um, I, I like Moda here. I, I really, really like Moda here. Um, I think his striking is clean. I haven't seen a lot of people put as much volume and power together as he has. We have gotten to see him over the course of three rounds and four rounds. The kid really doesn't get tired. And uh, I know you're referring to, you know, his takedown defense and, and his grappling as being some of the weaknesses. But truth be told, we didn't see that in the last few fights. That was years and years and years ago. No one else has even tried to grapple him since. Um, if you would have seen my wrestling when I was 21, 22, how old am I now? 25. Yeah. If you would have seen my wrestling the wind would blow and I would fall over and go, let me show you how good my jujitsu is. I, I think the kid has had time to mature. I love that RDA is his mentor. 
because RDA, I hold in one of the highest regards in terms of fight IQ. The guy is excellent everywhere. His counter wrestling, his jujitsu, his striking. I, I just think he's taken Moda under the under his wing. Um, these day, you know, this day and age, it's becoming so easy to counter wrestling, right? We're seeing big time wrestlers lose a lot now, even in the wrestling, right? People stand up, they get tired. Um, I think you give 15 minutes for Moda to find that chin. I think he's going to find it, or he's going to put on such a bad pace on, on Jim Miller. I don't think Jim can keep up. Uh, you know, not that I hate Jim Miller or anything like that. I just think this is kind of a bad matchup for Jim Miller. I think the UFC is ready to move on. I think they're ready to, 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 uh, to have a new star, a, a new face in the division. And, uh, I think Moda's that guy. I like it. I like it. I can definitely see that angle. And I know my guy, Jim Miller, wants to stick around until at least UFC 300, which I believe is another like two years away. So he's going to have to be fed, you know, more debutant guys like the Eric Gonzalez's or the Jason Gonzalez's that he can still stick around and eventually fulfill his dream of hitting UFC 300. But we will see how it goes. Me and B both think that he'll likely take an L tomorrow night, though. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. Heavyweight bout, people's main event. We got my guy Parker Porter coming in at a brisk 263 pounds. Alan Baudot, on the other hand, 256 on the scale. In terms of odds, chalk on my guy Parker Porter at minus 280, plus 225 the return on Alan Baudot. Uh, my favorite bet on this is easy peasy. Fight doesn't go to decision at minus 200. That shit is a gift and a half. There is an absolute skew due to the fact that Parker Porter's last two fights have gone the 15 minutes, but those fights are they have the the, the ingredients to go 15 uh, minutes, right? Josh Parisian, not a huge hitter, a guy that likes to throw spinning shit and tries to be a little bit too fancy for his liking. Obviously, didn't play out best for him that night. And then obviously Chase Sherman, who without the juice, this guy has no bark. And uh, that's actually obviously what I was able to witness live in person as well uh, as I was uh, there for Parker Porter getting his hand raised in a co-main event slot that night. Uh, here against Baudot, uh, this is, in my opinion, the toughest test he has over the last three fights, at least for the first five minutes. The first five minutes are going to be tough. Alan Baudot, we can shit on him as much as we want. The guy has had an atrocious run in the UFC thus, uh, to this point. But that first round he had against Rodrigo Nascimento shows why he could be dangerous. He can still crack. He has the Muay Thai background. He could potentially find that chin of Parker Porter. And we've seen Porter have been put out, obviously, in his UFC debut against Chris Dawkins. So I'm not counting it out. That's why I'm not all in on the Parker Porter minus 280 in this spot. I would much rather take the fight doesn't go to decision uh, or even over the over under one and a half because I could see the sneak into the second round and maybe even sneak into the early third round. But one thing is for certain, as much success as Alan Baudot has in round ones, he falls off a cliff going into round two. And that's where my guy, I think Parker Porter, is going to start to take over. I think he goes for the takedowns. And I think we even see him snatch up one of his patented Kimura's or Americana series that he has on his record. You see the jujitsu tattoo on his bicep. You don't you think that's there for show? Come on. Give me that plus 700 Parker Porter by sub. Uh, hopefully that uh, jujitsu tattoo will come into play. I know you got a jujitsu related tattoo as well yourself, which you can show off in a couple of seconds here. But uh, yeah, I like Parker Porter in this spot. As long as he doesn't get starched in round one. With Also with that said, round one, Alan Baudot is currently sitting at plus 650. Again, not a bad hedge opportunity if you find yourself too far on the Parker Porter money line side and parlays and all that type of shit. But Parker Porter is going to get this done. More than likely... 
inside the distance. I'm going to lean on the submission side because it's a plus 700 prop, but I could absolutely see him go out there and get a TKO finish as well. Uh, I'm going to call it second round. The fight doesn't go to decision. Let's take that shit to the bank. That's a spot that I really like in this fight. B, show off your tattoo. Show off why you think uh, our guy, Parker Part, is going to get it done with his jiu-jitsu. Let us know. Ah, <laughs> uh, the tattoo's ugly. It's all healing. You can't really see it. Yeah. But for you guys that don't know, I don't even know if you could see it. But uh, in jiu-jitsu, Mataleo, that's, that means lion killer in, in Portuguese, right? So I, I got an African warrior holding up a lion's head because that's my move. And if you guys don't know me, my hand from fighting, I, I, this is about as much as I can open up my hand. So the warrior in my tattoo just has one hand. So it's kind of a metaphor for fighting, for jujitsu. I didn't want a cheesy, you know, jujitsu, jujitsu tattoo. <laughs> so that's uh, that's what I went with. I'm gonna get a sleeve. But all right, let's break this one down. Uh, the the first thing, man, I really wanted to like Parker Porter more than I do here. Um, I mean, first of all, got the heaviest ass in the UFC pound for pound. I think it goes like <laughs> Parker Porter, Tracy Cortez. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. Don't um, kill me, bro. <laughs> geez, he's got just a big old fat ass. But he's a thicky, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. But you know what? His boxing is legitimately it's it's pretty decent. He uh he slips very, very well. He parries punches. He sees things coming. And the other thing is he's always catching punches. So punches to the head, he sees them coming a mile away. He's always defending. You know, really, if someone wants to beat Parker Porter, they faint to the head, they go to the body. That's going to be a short night because it's always open with how how high of a guard he keeps. Um, I don't understand the the Parker Porter submission prop because I don't think Parter, Parker Porter can wrestle very well. I I was really hoping when I went back to watch the film that he's putting a pace on these guys. He gets them covering up against the fence and he's just taking the legs out from under them and and, and dominating on top. I don't see it. I don't think that he can wrestle at all. His cage wrestling to me is atrocious. Now, the things that is good about him is he's got great cardio. And like I said, the good boxing, Bado is so much more athletic. I mean, he is just so much more athletic. His striking really is, is not bad. I mean, it's clean, good leg kicks, good. He's a good striker. Like you said, for a round. And then the guy quits. He's a quitter. Um, to, man, to me in this matchup, if Parker Porter could wrestle again, I would take out a loan and, and put it all on black and, and let it ride here. But I, I like Parker Porter, but not by a mile like everybody else. Um, I, I just think we go cardio and fight IQ always. The good boxing really, really helps too. I, I could see a finish. I definitely see a finish one way or the other in this fight. I think you made the sharpest play of the whole the whole fight here is, is it doesn't go the distance. Um, I like Parker Porter's fat ass to get it done. <laughs> I love the conviction on that afterwards as well. Last thing I'll say about this matchup, the reason I'm quite confident on the on the submission or even the, the, the threat of the takedowns here, giving him the success that he needs, the fight before coming into the UFC for Alan Baudot loses to a guy named Todd Stout, <clears throat> trains out of the gym that I used to work at, mainly known as a power puncher. Heck, the guy's nickname is the Black Hulk. He wants to go out there, tear your hat off with strikes. But... He started taking Baudot down, and he pulls off his first ever submission victory in his professional MMA career. Us wow. and everybody at the gym was like, oh, my God, did he really get a submission? There's no way Todd Stout just got a fucking submission, and that's exactly what happened. I know on his record it says win via disqualification. Todd Stout tested positive for marijuana after that fight, and the Quebec Commission, as weird as they are, not only do they change the result, but they change it to a win for Alan Baudot, and that's obviously how he ends up getting into the UFC 
if anybody says otherwise, you know not that they're not doing the research correctly. But uh, yeah, uh, Parker Porter via submission to the moon. Let's fucking go. <laughs> but fight doesn't go to decision. That's uh, the the main bet that I want to make for this fight. All right. Uh, co-main event slot, we have a catch weight of 195 pounds here. Kyle Dock is coming in at 193.5 pounds. Uh, Jamie Pickett stepping in for Julian Marquez uh, comes in at 194 pounds. In terms of odds, we're currently looking at uh, Kyle Dockis at minus 290, plus 230 to return on Jamie Pickett. Uh, Brandon, I'll let you kick this one off, man. How do you like this fight? Uh, man, this one's tough. You know, this, I saw somebody and they always post this. I, I really like this. I, I like to get everybody's temperature on, you know, people who don't necessarily know what they're exactly looking at. I like to see everybody's temperature in the room. What are they feeling? And overwhelmingly it was Dacus, right? Somebody did the tapology, like a win percentage. And it said that he should be like a minus 750, according to all the, the votes on tapology. Man, this is a tough one because Jamie Pickett is not good. But he finds ways to make fights very, 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 very close. Um, if you ever look at any of, of Dawkins' fights, so first and foremost, he's never really fought a guy other than Holland, which we got for 10 seconds. He's never fought a guy close to his height. Almost everybody he's fought has been shorter. Phil Hawes, Michael Lombardo, like they're all these really short guys that he can just outdistance and outrange. Um, the other thing too is a lot of these guys, it's not Dawkins winning, it's these guys messing up. Watching the, the Brendan Allen Dawkins fight really made me, I love Brendan Allen and I hate him so much at the same time because <laughs> he could have blown Dawkins out of the water yeah. and continued over and over and over again to just make the worst decisions possible. So the area that Dawkins gets beat is getting out athletic every time. I mean, it's, it's Phil Haas just showing I'm, I'm the better athlete. I'm, I'm stronger than you. And Jamie Pickett doesn't do much well. He runs with his chin up, his striking is sloppy, his wrestling leaves a lot to be desired, but man, he's athletic and he's fast and he puts his head in your chest and he grinds you up against the cage. You know, con conventional wisdom says that the better fighter wins 90% of the time. That's kind of the rule that we like to live by. Dawkins, what he lacks in athleticism and strength, he makes up for in, in fight IQ, I would like to say. Um, I like Dawkins here, but I I really would not be surprised to see a, a split decision for Jamie Pickett just making it grimy and close. Yeah, it's weird to see, one, Jamie Pickett in a Coleman event slot, and two, the fact that he's actually been able to string together two wins inside the UFC, especially given the uh, the what the perception is of the masses of him is that he's a horrible fighter. But he's going out there beating Loriano Storopoli, going out there beating Joseph Holmes last time around, who, you know, in hindsight, maybe the odds were very much off in that, especially considering that most of Joseph Holmes' wins have come earlier <clears throat> in fights so we don't really get to see how he pans out when he's forced to go a full 15 minutes but here against Kyle Dawkins man I, I always forget how big Dawkins is like Jamie Pickett's a pretty you know sturdy and big 185er but Dawkins was almost towering over him at a certain point man like that face off he looked gigantic and I really think he will be able to get into those positions that he needs because there's a lot of spots where Jamie Pickett more often than not finds himself against the cage like it is seem it seems to be very easy to push him up against the cage and then eventually drag him to the mat which is what Kyle Dawkins will more than look uh, likely be looking to do in this fight I do think he'll be able to get those positions and then on the ground I think they're light years apart in terms of the jiu-jitsu Dawkins legit black belt 
has shown it off in the past. Um, I wish he showed it off a little bit more in the Phil Hawes fight because I had uh, I had a pretty hefty wager on the under two and a half in that, and he even hurt Phil David or Phil Hawes a couple times uh, in the striking realm in that fight. But then eventually just uh, kind of accepted uh, the back position. I'm hoping he's learned from that fight. Uh, I don't think Jamie Pickett is, is as much of a threat as Phil Hawes was in those positions, and I do think that we'll see Kyle Dawkins be successful in the cage clinch and the wrestling, and then eventually the jujitsu. And I think he'll be able to get those spots to either control him from on top or even uh, maybe find a uh, finish at a certain point. I'm glad that you brought up the Brendan Allen fight, though, because that was a fight where Brendan Allen was like a minus 250 favorite. He did not wow. look like a minus favorite in that fight. It was uh. way closer than that. And if I'm not mistaken, Dawkins came in on a short notice for that fight. He made it very close. Like, he was one reversal away from winning that fight pretty much, right? That's how I kind of thought he did win. Was. Exactly. Yeah. There, there's a case that you could say that as well. If he's having that type of a fight with Brendan Allen, <clears throat> he should be able to break Jamie Pickett or blow Jamie Pickett out of the water as well. And I do think that that's exactly what we're going to see here. So uh, earlier in the week, not as convicted on the darkest side. Later in the week, I feel a little bit more convicted in him here to go out there and get that win over Jamie Pickett. All right. Main event. Right before we get to the main event, though, shout out to the 180 live viewers. Smash that like, smash that subscribe, and obviously show my guy Brandon some love as well. All of his social media is linked in the description below. Show my guy some love, and then show him and Santino some love on their channel as well. Uh, do you guys have a set date as to when you guys drop your podcast, or is it more of a on-the-fly kind of thing? No, we 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 usually we like to have it out on Wednesdays. It seems like I, I am the one that's like an 80-year-old man. I can't figure out technology. I, I'm horrible at it. Santino's the geek, the nerd, and he's the one that always has the technical issues. So uh, typically we shoot Tuesday night. It's up on Wednesday for everybody, but uh, Mixer broke this week. We had Santino was sick. We get fight stuff. So Wednesday's the day we like to put it out. There you guys go. Make sure you guys go check that out and show them some love. All right. Main event, light heavyweight scrap here. Johnny Walker weighing in at 206 pounds. Jamal Hill coming in at 205 pounds. In terms of odds, minus 250 on Jamal Hill, plus 200 the return on Johnny Walker. Now, I still have nightmares about Johnny Walker and Tiago Santos going <laughs> the full 25 minutes. Good God, I may have had that fight. doesn't go to decision anchored in most of my parlays. Uh, obviously, pretty squarish at the end of the day, but who the fuck saw that shit going 25 minutes? One thing that we can take hey. from that, <laughs> one thing that we can take from that, though, is that at this stage of his career, Tiago Santos seems to be a little bit more disciplined than he used to be, right? Before, he didn't mind being the berserker, going forward and really trying to take off his opponent's heads. But as of this point, he's really more disciplined, which is why I think that fight with Johnny Walker went the full 25 minutes. But here with Jamal Hill, man, I think Jamal Hill will bring the fight way more than Tiago Santos was willing to there. And Johnny Walker, I don't know what happened. Either he got muzzled over there in Ireland, but he is not the same fighter that he was when he first splashed on to the UFC scene, just dominating dudes and just decapitating them within seconds of the fight starting. Uh, now he's more so like of a, a kicker from the outside, waiting for his opportunity to let his hands go. And more often than not, doesn't seem like he gets to let his hands go, which ends up putting him behind on the scorecards and then eventually losing a decision like he did against Thiago Santos. Luckily for him, though, he's going to be forced to let his hands go because Jamal Hill, in my opinion, is going to be in his face. He's going to be throwing his uh, punches and looking to find that chin and snipe the chin of Johnny Walker in this fight. I don't have uber confidence that Jamal Hill is worthy of being a minus 250 favorite, but I do think he eventually finds his knockout, whether it's in the first, second, or third round. I do think he eventually finds that chin. So uh, Jamal Hill uh, via KO, that is currently sitting at 
uh, minus 135. I, I think that's the bet for this fight. Uh, I get people taking dog shots on Johnny Walker at minus, uh, plus 200. This is a light heavyweight strap or a scrap. Um, jo- uh, Johnny Walker still has crazy knockout power. That's something that we can't overlook. He's still very explosive uh, and athletic, and he can find that chin if he lets his hands go. I'm not sure if he will, but I do think that Jamal Hill will find that knockout at a certain point. Uh, I'm not you know, dying on this hill, though. Uh, no pun intended, but I do like uh, Jamal Hill via KO minus 135. How do you see this one going down? Yeah, th- this one's really interesting to me. I, I, man, Jimmy Crute is my guy. You know, Jimmy Crute. I love my boy, yeah. Jimmy Crute. He got smoked in that last fight. And I just always thought of Jamal Hill as, as a Detroit brawler. He, to me, is like, I was thinking Chaos Williams. Chaos Williams is a strong, powerful guy, but he needs so much work. I mean, he needs so much work. And I had always thought of Jamal Hill that way. Um, till I hopped on the tape index. Thank you very much. And uh, <laughs> that's saved me a lot of time. But, you know, I started watching Jamal. Jamal's good, man. He uh, he does a lot of things really, really well. Now, the things that he doesn't do well is he keeps the chin up and he's he's a little bit arrogant. But that's almost kind of what we like is he doesn't he doesn't know any better yet. He, he wants to just fuck you up for however long the fight is going to go. He doesn't know better yet. So, First and foremost, let me say the probably best play here is the fight doesn't go the distance because either Jamal is going to knock him out or he's going to get knocked out. And that's because of his arrogance. So that we love. That's a great play. Easy, easy, easy one here. But Jamal Hill does such a phenomenal job at managing distance. He legitimately is very, very good at managing his range, managing his distance. And he's got great volume. He's got a very snappy jab. It's a very clean jab, very clean boxing. His fight IQ is really, really good. Um, and, and the one fight I really wanted to tear him up in was, was the Paul Craig fight, right? Paul Craig, is, Paul Craig is the only guy I've ever seen in MMA that legitimately hits good submissions from the guard. He's the only guy I would say, yeah, go ahead, go to guard, because he actually knows how to, to throw up submissions that people have to watch out for. And even then, Jamal Hill, you could see he knows what he's doing on the ground, just the way that he positioned his hips, like ready to pass, and the little things that he was doing. I am I am thoroughly impressed with Jamal Hill. I could be made to look like a total idiot this week. Yep. Sorry, I, I just want to ask you something specifically about that Paul Craig fight because you're a BJJ guy as well, right? So you can give us a little bit of insight. The 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 armbar that he hit there, where he was able to trap his arm, uh, it's an unconventional uh, armbar that we're used to seeing, right? More often than not, you see the guys with their both hands on the guy's one arm torquing it with their hips, but he was able to snatch his arm, trap it, and then start to torque it. And, and I'm surprised that we don't see that more often, though, right? Like it seems like if you have very good grip from that position, you should be able to pull off a mission like that more often than not why do you think that paul craig was able to hit that and not you know as often as we should see it as he made it look like uh the the arrogance of jamal hill okay that, that's the <laughs> that's the thing where where you find a lot of good jujitsu you know jujitsu black belts or just really good jujitsu guys the reason we get caught in stuff is because we're arrogant we think our jujitsu our shit doesn't stink like we are the best of ever uh and the best example was like andre muniz versus jacare right jacare i'm a world champion i'm good here and then you get caught. And that's how it goes down every time. Jamal said, I'm fine. I'm not worried about it. Um, th- that's a really interesting one because usually that's kind of done as a shoulder lock. Uh, Frank Mir pulled that off early, early, early in the UFC. That's a great one, especially in MMA because you have those big bulky gloves that can really trap yeah. everything. You use those hips. I mean, it's just a good submission. Um, and weirdly enough, the way to get out of it is you have to turn your palm up, take it all the way back to get out. And it seems counterproductive. It seems like you're going to make it worse, but 
that's how you get out. Um, so do I think Jamal Hill is a world champion black belt? Absolutely not. I, yeah. I don't think so. But I think for MMA, the wrestling and the jujitsu game is getting figured out. Like, like there's not people, you know, finishing guillotines every single weekend anymore. It doesn't happen. It's the rear naked chokes. It's the ground and pound. Like that's the stuff that's winning fights these days. Um, now let, let's touch really quickly on Johnny Walker. And I say this a lot. This is my favorite way to break down some fights. I called this with Rachmanov and Carlston Harris. The things that make Johnny Walker great are also the things that are going to make him lose this fight. His style is so dependent on being explosive, hitting you from angles you've never seen before, being this crazy berserker that's six foot six, the body of a god. If he doesn't do those things, what issue does he present? I, I mean, you got Jamal Hill who works range well, is high volume, not afraid to, to be in the fight, got a good chin as far as what we know. Um, you know, I, I hate hoping that a guy fights a certain style or he, you know, betting on a guy, hoping he lands a punch. I think it's Jamal. I want to start a podcast favorite or pass to me. It's favorite <laughs> or pass here. Uh, I, I think Jamal just at this stage with, with his level of confidence, he he's the guy here. I like it. Shout out to my guy, Cody Safdick with the dogger pass podcast. I love <laughs> the little angle that you did there, but yeah, that's pretty much wrap on the, uh, on the breakdowns here, uh, on the back end here. Like I always do with my guests. I like to get them to share their lock of the night play or the most confident play on the card. Uh, officially for me, no lock of the night play for this card. Uh, but the two spots that I feel most, uh, convicted about, uh, the under two and a half in the Jesse Strader and Chad and Heliger fight, as well as the fight doesn't go to decision for Parker Porter and Alan Baudot. What about you, Brandon? What do you like the most tonight or tomorrow night? Sorry. Uh, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a parlay guy, so I'll have to give it to you guys like that. My favorite parlay would probably be Mario Batista, uh, Jonathan Pierce. And then I like that, uh, the Jesse Strader, Chad Angler, not to go the distance. And then if we're getting crazy, you can add both the girl fights over a round and a half. There you go. There you go. Uh, I know Brandon's damn good with those parlays as well. This guy has shown me plenty of bet slips in the past. I know he knows exactly what the fuck he's talking about. See, he's even getting excited about the money he's going to win tomorrow <laughs> by knocking over his mic and probably getting a new one after that as well. Uh, Brandon, appreciate you joining me on the show. I'll give you the platform one last time to say anything you need to, and then I will uh, wrap this thing up. Cool. Thank you so much for having me on. You know, it's always a good time. You have the best audience in the world. Everybody loves and respects you so much. And I, I think what's cool is it doesn't matter if you're winning or losing. It, it really doesn't matter. People like you for you and you make great content. You bring a lot of people together, all styles, shapes. Uh, so what I want to say, guys, if you like this breakdown, um, Santino and I go follow Santino DeFranco, go subscribe to him on YouTube. You can follow us on Instagram. We run a Patreon. Um, I know you run a Patreon also. What, what is your subscription? Five bucks a month? Yeah. Ours is about $25 a month, guys. There's plenty of to ha be had for everybody. Uh, $30 a month. We're going to, you know, everybody in the community, we'll, we'll make you hundreds, thousands. So you can afford $30, you cheap, cheap <laughs> sons of bitches. So, uh, yep, just follow us. Uh, YouTube, Patreon, Instagram. That's it. There you guys go. 
Braddon is definitely one of the sharper guys in the space, and I respect his views, hence why he always has an open invitation to come onto the show. Uh, appreciate everybody that joined us, 180 of you still with us. Make sure you guys hit that like and subscribe. Again, show my guy Brandon some love if you haven't already. All of his uh, links are in the description below. Uh, and lastly, uh, in about two and a half hours, I'll be going on Instagram Live to talk to you guys uh, to hear what your favorite bets are for tomorrow. Uh, follow me on Instagram at MMALOTN, and be sure to tap in live with me on the ig live so that we can talk to each other and talk through these bets and lastly tomorrow 1 p.m eastern fight day live chat right here on my youtube channel uh talking to the live chat taking all last questions comments and concerns before we get into the fights which i believe kick off at 4 p.m eastern tomorrow so don't get caught napping because it is slightly earlier than we're used to i believe it's 2 p.m for where brandon is which i fucking love so goddamn much <laughs> i wish I, I lived on the west coast or mountain whatever the fucking time zone you guys are in because that is the best time to be watching fights but i'll stick with my 4 p.m eastern time as well appreciate all the love uh good luck on your bets tomorrow and uh war parker porter let's fucking go let's get better <laughs> run going parker porter that honey baked ham ass <laughs> exactly tracy cortez number two ass in the <laughs> ufc parker porter number one let's go